listener production. This is Come Out Wherever You Are, a podcast about coming out told by the people who have done it. I'm your host, Sean Zepps, and because this is a podcast about coming out, it's only fair that I go first. My name is Sean Zepps. I'm a homosexual male. Identify using he, him pronouns. I first came out of the closet in early 2000. I was in a closet, which is iconic. And I'm going to keep saying that it's iconic until someone makes a movie about it. (laughs) And I most recently came out um, in my DMs like six hours ago. A woman just asked me if I was queer. And so I just told her I wasn't in Whether I was gay. Today, we are welcoming a brand new member to the Come Out Wherever You Are family. (laughs) Tom, can you introduce yourself? Tell us how you identify when you first came out. And if you can remember, when's the last time you came out? Sure. Uh, My name is Tom Ballard. I'm a comedian. I identify as a comedian. Um, I am a gay man. I use he, him pronouns. Uh, I first came out to myself when I was like sort of 15 in year 10. Mm. I uh, first came out to anybody else <laughs> outside of my head to my cousin Lucy around about the same time when I wrote her a eight-page letter explaining that uh, that situation. Yeah, and most recently, and I know this comes up a lot on the show, but it must be in an Uber or in a taxi. Either I come out and will casually mention my boyfriend or will correct someone if they ask about whether I have a wife and kids. Or sometimes not do that and just let that roll by and go, yeah, my wife, yeah, she's great. she's great. <laughs> it's always in an Uber. I, I am going to make a movie about it. Sure. They have a script that they are given when they start. This mm-hmm. isn't true. This is a lie. But in my head, when they start at Uber, they say, here are the questions. Right. No one's gay. They've never existed. <laughs> Everyone who is a man likes vagina. Here are the first three questions you can ask. Yes. They, I'll be wearing like a boa eyeliner and they'll be like where's your wife and I'm like I'm the wife bro like come on do the work I do wonder whether because I've read about in places like uh, China for example I believe it's a similar situation in India often queer people or yeah gay men lesbian women will be acknowledged and we uh, they'll be seen and they'll be recognized mm. but they're still expected to marry someone of the opposite sex, yeah. you know? So I'm sure there are lots of extremely camp men who are attracted to other men who are married to women all across uh, various Asian countries. 100%. And it's almost like, look, it's fine. You can be gay, but you'll be marrying a woman and you'll be having a baby. For oh, totally. Tom Ballard is one of Australia's most well-known comedians. You might have heard him hosting the Triple J Breakfast Show. He also had his own TV show called Tonightly with Tom Ballard, and he's toured all around this country with his comedy shows. Right now, you can watch him in his comedy special, Enough, on Paramount Plus, or read what he thinks about boomers, billionaires, and everything else in his new book, I, Millennial. He also has not one, but two podcasts, Like I'm a Six-Year-Old and Serious Danger. Here's Tom. Where did you grow up? I grew up in Warrnambool in country Victoria. Ooh. It's a town of about 30,000 people. Uh, we lived for a year in Ballarat, um, but then moved back to Warrnambool. Um, beautiful place, wonderful, safe, lovely place to grow up. Pretty socially conservative, generally speaking. Mm. But uh, right on the coast, near the Great Ocean Road. And yeah, had a very, very happy childhood there. It was delightful. Paint a picture for me as someone who's obviously not from this country. Um, 
accepting? Diverse? New. New and new. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, it's, it is hard to say, right? Because I certainly didn't know many uh, gay people growing up at all or queer mm. people. Or, and there were no visually um, obvious or, or regular examples for me to point to in my local community. That's certainly true. Pretty strong, yeah, religious background, antenna to things. Um, but by the time I was reaching my teens and uh, starting to ask a few questions, I did join a local youth anti-homophobia group. This is before I came out, okay? Ah, okay. <laughs> I was playing it very subtle. Mm. But I joined this local youth anti-homophobia group with the terrible acronym, right? It was called YUMCHA. No, it wasn't. Which was, Stop it. Which stands for Youth United Making Changes Against Homophobic Attitudes. I love that. <laughs> I love that. Give that guy a raise. Whoever came up with it, raise. Did you eat YUMCHA while you met? We did not, no. That was a mistake. It was just a bunch of... Yeah, lonely, weird, questioning kids in a room going like, oh, yeah, homophobia is bad. Will you have sex with me? <laughs> <laughs> did you tell anyone you were doing it? Were people like, why? I think, I, sh I'm, I can't believe I did this, but I'm sure I told my parents that that was where I was going. And, you know, at this point, I'm like into public speaking and a little bit of social justice stuff. So it's not out of the realm of possibility that I could just be an incredible ally. Absolutely. At 15, uh, standing in solidarity with my queer comrades. But um, no, I was there to meet other gay bows in the local oh, area. Did it work? Yes, yes, yes. My first boyfriend was at that meeting. Yes. Oh, there you go. Uh -huh. The origin story right here. <laughs> if you hadn't signed up for Yumcha, we wouldn't be here today in this rainbow jumper. Youth United making changes against, you, you don't use that second day, homophobic attitudes. Okay, got it, got it, got it. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you so much. We will put it in the show notes. We will put a link <laughs> so to their current website. But that, that group was set up by the local council, right? And, and there was, you know, the, the social workers and stuff. And obviously, I, I went to some great schools and, they were, and my parents are teachers. And, you know, I, I love teachers. I think they're fantastic. And the schools that I, that I went to or in our local area had staff on hand that were obviously alive to the fact that yeah. some kids at their schools were... Uh, not like the other kids and probably having a pretty tough time. And so they were very welcoming in that respect. I actually just let it slip past me in one ear and out the other, the fact that it existed at all, because that definitely wasn't around when I was, there wasn't a, a group like that for sure. me. And yep. so clearly a step ahead of most right. small town. Yes. That's cool. Okay. So you said religion. Did you mean the area or you yourself? Did you grow up in a religious family? No, not religious at all. Um, no, grandparents uh, all went to church on a regular basis, but no, church did not loom large in my childhood. Great. I went to a government primary school, uh, even though we still had religious education and a priest would come in on a regular basis and make us sing songs like God is good all the time. But, you know, obviously grew up in Australia and particularly what in 2004, I'm in year nine or 10 or something like that. And so mm. 2004 is both George Bush passing the Defense of Marriage Act in the States yep. and also the Howard government here doing similar noise, noises, making legislative moves in an election year yeah. just to make it very clear that no dirty gays will be getting married in this country anytime soon. Didn't even think about the parallels, mainly because I didn't know Australia existed. <laughs> that was the next year I found out about Crocodile Nundee and then I married an Australian. So, bum, bum, bum. That is actually really interesting because we're basically the exact same age. So like that time in both of our lives is right. like discovering who you are, mm. And then also hearing about it publicly, which would not have happened, well, a couple of decades earlier, it would have been AIDS, HIV. Mm. So like, 
the conversation inside of your heart and your head and the fear and anxiety that comes from that. And mm. then like seeing it on the television, news media, and it's not great. Yeah. Adds and a little pressure. I believe around a similar time, maybe 2002 or something, is this play school lesbian uh, hoo-ha. You remember yeah, this? Have you I, heard about I, this? I've read about it since. since, yes. Yeah. So I remember that being. So every news story coming into my mm. world, it's young queer kids' worlds, is is negative. It's like, yeah. is people getting extremely angry about about gay people existing. Mm. So it's always, it's not a great introduction to the idea of uh, no. <laughs> being a homer. And we had the aftermath of the epidemic of HIV in the sense that every single person you would have thought about coming out to had a completely justifiable, not so good understanding of what that meant for them. Like sure. it, it was completely justifiable. In other areas of homophobia or racism throughout society, you're looking at people and wondering like, well, where does this come from other than the fact that your parents told you to? But in this particular case, you have generations of people mm. who were just living and consuming media and going, if I know someone who's like this, it's just death. Mm. Like that's actually it. Yep. Maybe not if they're like losers, but the cool ones are goners. Yes. And that is shaping what it means for us to come out, which sure. is like, okay, so every single person that we're going to talk to is going to have that in the back of their head, yeah. whether we like it or not. Did you have a feeling growing up, let's say 15 to 18, how your parents would have reacted? Was that something that was going on in your head that they would have been cool or not so cool? I think that I always knew that they would be fine, really. Mm. They're very, very progressive people. We didn't have any sort of family friends who were gay or anything like that, but... Yeah, if I really thought about it sort of logically, I'm sure that they would find. I think I was just dreading the uh, the awkward conversation, really. It was, it was more a matter of being awkward than being worried that I was going to be turfed out of home or anything yeah. like that. Gay people are usually really funny. Stereotype. Gross generalization. <laughs> but they are, you know? <laughs> and I've always wondered, like, where comedy comes from. Like, mm. that the root of it, that origin story of, like, well, what made you... Are you how much of being different like formed that shell and that barrier of like, I'm going to make you fucking laugh so that mm. anything else about me is not? Or is it completely has nothing to do with that? Uh, I don't know. I, it's very hard to, to know. I mean, the need for attention came first for me and love of theater and performing. Okay. So like when I'm eight years old, I'm in a production of um, Rock and Roll Santa, in which I play the role of Blitzen. Uh, which was a very funny role and had like big funny laughs and stuff. I got to be a little baby reindeer in a little pram that I popped my head out and everyone laughed. And yes. so that, was, that was obviously massive. People have heard about that. Every, uh, everyone. People everyone. have been writing in asking actually. Yeah. The old school ballad heads are big on that one. <laughs> so I don't know. I just got addicted to that and I was doing all the theater and then I was going to become the greatest actor of my generation and then uh, eventually stumbled into stand-up comedy through this high school comedy competition that was being run. And was obsessed with, yeah, watching the gala, the Oxfam gala on TV. And mm. that was people getting attention. And there must, there must be something. I mean, obviously, there are lots of uh, straight people who, who love performing as well. No. No? It's actually not true. <laughs> They're obviously terrible at it. <laughs> Only the And we just, we, you know, we put up with it mm. for their sake. Yes, I'm endlessly fascinated. Why, why are there so many gay men in musical theatre? Why is that the case? Mm. What, what is that actual, what's at the heart of that? That's that's an interesting question, especially because most people who discover it, it's long before they realize that that that's, that it's a safe haven. Like yes. I didn't I didn't start dancing at five because I was like the gays are there. Yes. It's obviously like a huge part of self expression. Yes, but then on top of that, 
it's impossible to ignore the older you get and the more that you do it. Yes. But it's clearly a space where experimentation and exploration is yes. allowed. So if you just wanted to dance and like not have, you weren't doing it on the football field. Right. Perhaps the better question is how many straight men are discouraged from exploring and enjoying theater and performance because of the way we're socialized. Oh, totally. Maybe. And also, like opportunities to test out who you really are. Like they often say, this is a stereotype that I hear a lot online now, which is like gay people are unpacking who they are, mm. you know, throughout their entire adulthood because so much of their childhood, they're suppressing it. That's true. Mm -hmm. You know, that is true. I think that's true for everybody, but it is definitely true for queer people. Mm. And theater or Halloween or dress up parties or dance classes mm. or improv classes you get to more safely go, here's a bunch of different sides of me. Here, mm. I'm going to try a higher voice, a lower voice. I'm going to try jokes where I get to be a little more femme and see what happens mm. there. And do I, so I do feel like specifically for people, gay people, yes, but like trans and non-binary people, that is like an actual safe haven. Like that keeps them alive is this opportunity to play and explore and be, you know, I got to be Carmen Miranda one year. Well, that's a safe place for me to like wear a dress and see what that feels like. Whereas you're right, there's a lot of straight dudes who actually might've benefited greatly from the opportunity of being a little silly for a couple of times a week. I think so. I think affirmation is definitely a huge part of it as well, mm. right? So for me, yeah, comedy, I no matter how much I, uh, I love doing comedy for the sake of it and the craft and, and et cetera, et cetera, all mm. these other things that I can justify about doing, like, doing comedy as a career. I have no other transferable skills, mainly. But fundamentally, making people laugh, a room full of people laugh, makes me feel good, makes me feel affirmed, makes me feel like people like me. And on some level, I still definitely need that. Preach. And if you're worried about people not liking you because you like to kiss boys, chances are that if you distract them with a few hilarious jokes and make people laugh, then totally. that's good. You can be accepted that way. Lucy? Yes. Was someone that you thought was safe? Yeah. Why her? So she was like the same age as me, pretty much bang on. And in our teenage years, we became really close. She lived in Melbourne, the big smoke. Mm. Where all the gays were from. <laughs> where, they, where they made gays. And, you know, we were just, yeah, get, getting very close during our teenage years, particularly, yeah, based around music and becoming young adults mm. and partying and experimenting with stuff. And I think I knew that she had gay friends in Melbourne um, and was certainly much more exposed to queer culture just by the nature of living in Melbourne. And I think, I, yeah, I definitely knew that she was going to be okay. And so you sat down and you read a letter. Eight pages. Always the intention? You were like, I'm going to write a letter, this is safer? I think so, yeah. I think, I think it was just about, yeah, the, the fear of doing it on the phone or, or having to do it um, in the moment yeah. and actually expressing that myself, that, that was too scary. So if I could use the power of my words. <laughs> what did you think was going to happen? Do you remember? I don't, I, at that point, I mean, I must have been hanging on to it for myself. I, I'd realized in my own head mm. this was true, and that was a long process of rejecting it, not wanting that at all. No, thank you. I don't want to be gay. I don't want to be another gay actor. Yeah. I don't want this to be true for me. And, you know, that could have been maybe a year or something like that of just that swimming around in your head, constantly hearing on the schoolyard every day that gay equals bad, that's gay, you're yeah, gay. Yeah, yeah. You, you, I'm implying that you're gay, that's bad. And then eventually go to, but, well, this is not going anywhere. It seems this to be the way, this is the way things are going. Maybe start doing a little bit reading, reading about other famous gay people and, mm. oh, maybe there are some cool people who are gay. And then eventually just like, I have to tell somebody this. 
And so Lucy's probably a good way, a good way to go. How did she react? And did you get to talk to her or was it a letter back? She wrote a letter back and it was incredible. Mm. It was, she said she oh, she's suspected for a long time. She sort of had that inkling, I suppose. Because uh, I never had a girlfriend at this point or anything like that. And it was, yes, I, I cried writing, I cried writing my letter and I cried reading her letter. And it was, it was lovely. It was, a, it was a real feeling of acceptance and feeling like, yeah, feeling like everything was going to be okay. That's great. And hmm. silly question, because I hope it's obvious, but does that then make it a lot easier to want to come out to more people? Does that, or is that letter enough for you? And you're like, okay, I'll keep this quiet for a little while. I think so. I can't quite remember the time. It must have been quite a while actually between that. So that's year 10 or 11. I didn't start telling everybody else until the end of year 12. Mm. Yeah. Why God. is that the case? Do you that remember? That's weird. I don't know why. Um, uh, I suppose I was just, yes, just scared of that awkwardness, scared of being rejected. And there's a, there is a big difference between my cosmopolitan cousin in Melbourne exactly. and my, yeah, yeah, yeah. my footy-loving country friends. That's true. They're two different worlds apart. And then mum and dad, again, if I really thought about it, they probably would have been fine. But um, if they say no or it gets awkward, I still got to live with these people for a year and a half. Exactly. <laughs> and it has been a theme on this show that a lot of people have said, my parents were great. But I don't think you understand that like the worst case scenario yes. is not having them anymore. Yes. Why are you going to risk that? It doesn't matter that they're super nice and super supportive or even have a gay hairdresser. Yes. Like that shit doesn't matter. No. It is hard enough to be 15 to 18 to add the extra layer on. Sure. Like I'll deal with that later. That's tomorrow's problem. I mean, you're also you're saying to your parents, I don't know how graphic you can get to, but I want to suck dicks, mom. <laughs> mom, I want to put dicks in my mouth. Mm, I am, mom. <laughs> Yesterday, <laughs> <laughs> I'm the little baby that came out of you, and you've raised since I was me above. And now, straight straight dudes don't. You can bring up a girlfriend, and yeah. everyone knows that you're putting yourself inside her and and, and such. I mean, it's so true. It's not like I'm going, I didn't, my brother didn't <laughs> come on and go, terribly. no, you're doing it perfectly. <laughs> because I have always wondered, why is it so much harder to picture me, mom, than it is to picture Steven, my brother, right. reading out a girl? <laughs> the reality is it's gross either way, but you're more uncomfortable with it because it's not what you like or what you're used to in your bed. So when did you tell them? Uh, um, I told them at the end of year 12, that magical time, I guess it'd be different yeah, from an American point of view, but in Australia, uh, at the end of the year, you're coming into summer, mm. Christmas is in summer and everything. Mm. Uh, so I just remember those final months of year 12, exams are coming up and it's all this like life changing, like, oh my God, the world's about to open up and yeah, big changes, big confessions at the time of all that, big emotions. And I first told my friend Daniel Parisian, who uh, is a delightful guy, who... Uh, <laughs> And I've done stand-up about this, so forgive me. Again, to all the Ballard fans who are sick to death of this. <laughs> I sat him down and I said, look, Para, I, uh, I think I'm gay. And he was eating a pie at the time, so it was, it was a bad time in my point. And he uh, looked at me and he said, oh, oh, well, we've all got our problems. <laughs> and it's like, if that's as bad as it gets, then that's, that's okay. So I got that out of the way. And then I th I'm pretty sure it must have been the same day at that point of when I got home, when mum and dad were home, I sat down and said... Uh, I've got something to tell you. Uh, I'm gay. And they came over and gave me a hug and told me they loved me and everything was going to be right. And then my mum went back to her room and came back and showed me a book that she'd bought called My Child is Gay. So, again, had a few inklings. Wow. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty beautiful. Not so beautiful the way your friend reacted. But hey, hey, 
you know, we give people the benefit of the doubt on this show. Sometimes yeah. everyone's not prepared for how to react. Sure. What do you say? I don't know. Well, well if I was a, if I was a straight guy from Audible, I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily know what to say. Yeah, they didn't. No one was getting trained back then. No, there wasn't a TikToks accounts where people were coming out every day and telling them the nice ways to respond. But the way your parents responded is pretty damn good, and they didn't. It's pretty lovely. Have the education. They didn't. At least they hid the book too. They didn't yeah. let me see the book before I told them. That would have been too awkward. That makes. Like, <laughs> Mom, I, why have you got this book? No, light reading. <laughs> Just in case, I have a lesbian <laughs> one too for your sister. I don't know that you have a sister. Um. I think that's really powerful. It got me emotional because I remember when I was saying to my mom about the coming out period, I said, you know, wh- where did you go to find answers? And mm. she said, it was impossible back yeah. then. Like, the internet wasn't as popular. She wasn't like Googling things. Um, and she recalls there being PFLAG, which was like some type of parenting organization. Uh, but obviously, like social media didn't exist. So there wasn't like those accounts or anything. Mm-hmm. But I guess the thought that she would have had to have, it wasn't as easy as like popping a line and going, my kid's gay. And then all of a sudden a book arrived a couple of days later, like it took work, you know? And that's really beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. I I think I passed on PFLAG to to mom and dad in case they wanted to connect with other parents with queer kids. But I don't know if that happened at the end. It's Um, a unique experience, I think, to like want desperately to find community and then also having it be very personal and not wanting community. That happens to queer people sometimes. Like they come out of the closet and then they're like told to go to the local or chapter of gays and they're like, fuck that. No, this is, <laughs> I'm the only one who has experienced this or I'm not like other gay people. Yeah. Which I think is part of my story. I mean, the the show I ended up writing, a stand-up show and end up starting and I, and I sort of, my stand-up up until 18 was just jokes, just random, stupid, silly jokes that didn't really connect to anything or didn't say anything about me. Mm. And then I kind of made this decision to start talking about my sexuality. And yeah. that's sort of how I came out to a whole bunch of my comedian friends. They didn't really know. And I went up on stage and started trying out this new material. That's a about damn me. good coming out story. That's <laughs> well, very efficient. <laughs> yeah. If you've got a room full of friends there. You if of, you're funny. If yes. the jokes didn't land, you're, not only are you gay, you're not fucking funny. Oh, no. <laughs> you're a poofter and you yeah, bombed. Exactly. <laughs> It's <laughs> the worst of both of uh, No. Uh, no, I think that's the stuff went okay. Or enough, good enough for me to keep doing it. Mm. But then, yes, the show I ended up uh, doing in 2009, which is Tom Ballard, is what he is, which was trying to, yes, wrestle with these two things. I am a gay man. I love gay culture. I love camp. I have so many camp friends. I love all that stuff, but I'm not, I'm not especially uh, camp. And I, there's a whole bunch of queer culture that just doesn't really speak to me. I just can't really connect to it. A lot of it seems like a lot of effort. Yeah. Um, I can't be bothered doing all that, particularly gym-based or drag. You know, just like, oh, so much work. So, you know, and I'm not especially effeminate necessarily in, in person, so trying to, yeah, didn't quite fit in the country footy world yeah. and in all the gay clubs too. It's not entirely my world, so foot and each, foot and each. That was kind of the stuff I was exploring in that show. I cannot relate <laughs> at all. I'm dressed in drag right now, actually. Um, I brought my gay jumper. You did a good job. Yes. But the reason why I know it's powerful is because I can't relate. Like, I came out of the closet and when I went to go seek community, I showed up to a bar of like a bunch of gay glitter twinks and I thought, home. Home. But when I met my husband and he didn't want to go to the gay bars, Mm. 
because he was like, no, no one like me is there. Yeah. Um, I don't like that music. I don't like drag performances. I'm not into that. I remember just thinking, oh, well, what did you do to find community? And he's like, nothing. nothing. It's hard. Yes. And it's funny to me. It's not funny at all, but it's funny that for queer people, we're like a little bit ostracized, put to the side. We're different. It's an internal battle. We get made fun of. And then the community happens. This is supposed to be the safe haven where mm. all the queers get to rush to. And then it actually just replicates the exact same society from childhood where like it starts to become ranked of like muscle queens at the top. Right. And then like people who are into drag. And if you're like a little too straight or not into that, mm. like there's not room for you. Yeah. And I imagine like trying to find yourself and figure yourself out in a new community where you're also not feeling well. It's like, well, fuck, where do I go? Yeah. Yeah, I think, look, I'm not the first one to touch on it, but the the judgment, the level of, I guess it's called lateral violence within the queer community sometimes is can be really dispiriting and mm. sad. And it's, I mean, it's, it is something that you can kind of opt out of, I think. I think, you know, when I first moved to Sydney in my early 20s, and that was a wonderful time of, I, I had a very nice job and could afford to have a very nice life and was discovering myself as a young gay man, yeah. having a grand old time. But after a couple of years, you're like, oh, this is just, some of this is just very silly. And some mm -hmm. people take this way too seriously, yeah, yeah, yeah. as far as I'm concerned. And that's not the my favorite part of the queer community. My favorite part of the queer community is like, is the extraordinary love and acceptance and freedom that you get, I don't know, despite all the problems with Mardi Gras sometimes. Yeah. You know, at Mardi Gras at its best, it just feels like absolute liberation and everybody around you is accepting you for exactly who you are and yeah. is so happy for you to be exactly who you are. Mm. That's the stuff. Every now and again, you just click on it. Maybe it's maybe the drugs kick in, but you really <laughs> do land on something. You're like, this is really special and magical. Yeah. And I love that this exists so much. And, you you know, you get overwhelmed when you think about the history of how many people struggled and bled and died for that to happen. It's, mm. it's, it's um, very inspiring. As someone who loves comedy, I have, I guess, been gifted to kind of wade through many decades of jokes at our expense mm -hmm. and by us yes. at our expense. Right. I've always enjoyed jokes about being gay. Like, I've always enjoyed being able to laugh about something that stressed me out. Uh, obviously, there are certain comedians where it lands, and then there are others where I don't personally connect with them. But, like, I grew up hearing enough queer jokes mm. and loving it and just mm. giggling quietly a little bit. I didn't want my parents to think if I laughed too hard at the special that I was clearly the one. But then we've moved for the last couple of decades through, like, uncomfortable territory where you can't really make jokes about anything that you are not 100%. Mm -hmm. I'm interested in your journey about, right, because you make this splash by coming out with content about gayness. One, are people receptive then at that time to queer humor by a queer person? Mm. Or is it only funny when, like, a black dude is doing it and we're the butt of a pretty nasty joke? Mm. Well, yeah, I mean, I sort of popped up then, that's 2009, at this pretty remarkable time when everyone was becoming gay. Yeah, Australian comedy was sort of exploding with this. It was, you know, I popped up around the same time as Reese Nicholson. Yeah. I think Joel Creasy was maybe just a year after me sort of thing. Yeah, You've got Hannah Gadsby, I think, already. I mean, I was in Raw Comedy with Hannah Gadsby in 2006. We were in that, mm. that final together, which, which she won. Um, and, you know, years before Nanette, she was just a fantastic comedian, churning out brilliant hours of stand-up. For a very long time. Uh, Josh Thomas was massive as well, although he wasn't quite out until <laughs> until a bit later. Good time to be gay and funny. People would remark on it. They were like, God damn. 
That's a I lot think of Cody you. got real gay real quick. <laughs> yeah. So that was wonderful. And it was certainly a rich, it was a rich vein. And a coming out show is something of a, a mild trope at this point now. Like, I don't even know how many comedians could actually get away with saying, just saying I'm gay. That's probably a bit boring or a yeah, bit yeah, passe yeah. now. Like, yeah, so who cares? But yeah, so that was, that was a pretty extraordinary time. And I do remember writing that show or having material that really I, I, I loved and was really honest and expressed exactly what I thought. If I, and I was able to pull off this sort of, um, this trick or this, this task, this creative task of being able to express really talk about who I was and what my life was without without resorting to any kind of cheap cheap jokes about gayness yeah. or anything like that. I, I was quite proud of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, that, that show was was sort of started my, my, my career, got me management and and sort of, you know, um, things kicked off for me after that. So that felt really good. Ooh, it's nice. I know there are a lot of people listening, athletes, actors, creators who are like trying to figure out how to bring themselves into the thing they love a lot. Mm. And they know in theory they should. Artists are always told they're like, paint what you know, right. draw what you know. And you're like, but what I know is being gay and that's not cool. At least maybe not today, but yeah. when we were a kid. I think it's nice to hear that. It's completely possible to have that be the thing that like pops you off. That's the one thing that made you fr- afraid for a while. Yeah, and look, yeah, honestly, in the years that followed, I, I mean, I did a show about um, homophobia. I did a show about... Uh, falling in love and having my heart broken for the first time. Mm. I was regularly talking about being gay and my wacky gay adventures. And there did come a point where I was just like, well, I, I would like to talk about other things yeah. and not in any kind of um, way to distance myself from who I am. I always talk about who I am honestly on stage, but it wasn't like always talking about being gay or being defined solely as a queer comic. That didn't quite interest me anymore. So mm. it sort of opened up to some broader subjects that I like talking about. Yeah, which I think is a, is a sign of progress. Are you cool with people making gay jokes at our expense who aren't gay? Well, the the term gay joke or um, the term the minority group joke is a complicated idea mm. to me. What is a gay joke? Is a gay joke whose punchline is being gay is bad and weird? Um, I I would have I would have to hear the joke, but that's probably not a joke I've got to enjoy. No, if your joke is like imagine being gay. To, like that's such a bad, crappy joke that now the funny thing to do is like an ironic hom- homophobic joke, like yeah, yeah, yeah. which is really making fun of the way straight men make yes. fun of each other about being gay. Yes. That's all fine. Okay. Um, if the joke touches on something true about queer people mm. or about the gay community, particularly gay men, yeah, then I think that that's that's fine. I would argue a joke that's sort of that's, that's basically premised on the idea that gay men have a lot of sex or gay men are sexually adventurous or gay men are often pr- promiscuous. Not all. Not hashtag not all gay men. But 99.9. But, but yeah. <laughs> it's a different relationship to casual sex yep. that I, I think that's fine by me. Yeah. Right. I've often wondered if gay comedians use comedy to like get, to beat people to the punch. Mm. I've noticed it a lot because I follow a lot of, uh, since living in LA, I've followed a lot more comedy accounts uh, where they just show the stand-ups from that night so you can get like 10 a day, basically. Yep. And I've noticed that a lot of minorities and queer people, like the first joke is to identify. So to add context makes total sense, but I've often can't help but unpick as a non-comedian mm. that we do that in real life when we're not doing a set. Right. Which is uh, get in the car, I'm a little uncomfortable, my husband 
ba ba ba. Right. So if you're a homophobe, be quiet. <laughs> like that's your warning sign. Yeah. And so because I follow all these accounts and I'm finding so many gay men are getting up, starting their set and be like, I'm gay. Mm-hmm. And then they they do their set. I've been wondering if you've had experience with like, why? Why is that? Is it the exact same reason? Are we just setting up the stage or does it genuinely just make the, the rest of the content funnier? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, look, lots of comedians have a joke about what they look like when they're on stage. Right away. Um, if if you are from an ethnic minority, in a, before we get a white country, chances are you have something that touches on race. Mm. I mean, being being gay is funny. Absolutely, <laughs> it is. It's a funny thing to do. Totally. Uh, if you're someone like Reese Nicholson or Joel Greasy, you know, yeah, I think both of them have something like, uh, yep, yeah, I have a boyfriend. Sorry, ladies, or yes. you know, a joke on how obviously camp and queer they are, mm, and therefore mm, playing mm. with that. Mm. Um, and look, you know, and again, this may be running out, but it is a level of novelty that is often a rich vein for comedy. I mean, being queer in a in a patriarchal, heteronormative society means that you're almost constantly running into little scenarios in which you're the odd one out and you're a little bit different and people are assuming certain things. You know, I've, I've gotten a huge number of laughs out of the dumb things people say to you, it, not even mean way, but trying to connect with you, like yeah, that yeah. lady in Wollongong who saw me and then came up to me afterwards and said, uh, oh, my son loves Eurovision. Can I have a photo? Like, that was it. That was all she wanted. She just wanted to connect with me on that level. Yeah. And it was like, this is very sweet, but I have nothing <laughs> no, to do No, yeah, I have Eurovision. nothing. I actually hate Eurovision. <laughs> I thought she was making a Joel reference because she's always fucking hosting. Right. Movies. He was uh, like, yeah, you yeah. think you're that guy? You I'm guys the are gay version people. of Joel yeah, yeah. Please. Please have some I respect. I love drag queens. <laughs> I like anal play. Yeah. <laughs> if they said that, it's like, oh, my That's uncle's good. a gimp. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know him? <laughs> yeah. So, so like it's it's often just a rich vein of uh, of comedy. Yeah, that's mm. that's for sure. Um, mm. Well, because with straight, I guess what I kept thinking about the last year was how I, as a non comedian, uh, attempt at all costs to make it clear that I'm aware of what they're thinking or mm. the jokes they might be having or mm. specifically with straight men, mm. without a doubt with straight men. Mm. And that's not so dissimilar to, you know, you're a professional performer. You, your goal is to make them laugh. And if they're not laughing, then you have failed. But mm. if there's a way for them instantly to to chill out and be calmer and be open to the comedy, if there's a way to do that, it's the girl who gets up and says, as you can tell, I'm fat. And mm. it's like, Oh, she she gets the joke. So I'm now I can laugh louder at what I might not be able to laugh loud about later because I don't know if it's insensitive, specifically in a cancel culture era where it's like everything is a stepping stone. Comedy used to be a safe space for that, but I've been nervous the last couple of years with cancel culture that it's not so safe anymore. So it's like a way to like beat that to the punch. Yeah, look, I find it, I personally find it very liberating to make a joke about something, like about my, I've made lots of jokes about my weight, about about being about being uh, unable to find a boyfriend, uh, about anything physical about my body that I don't like. If I can make a joke about that mm. and make a room full of people laugh at that, I find that very cathartic. I, I love that. I embrace that. I, I just think that's like, that's me exercising a little bit of control over this thing that I can't really control yeah. and turn it into something that makes other people happy. And yeah. and I, I've genuinely processed problems with myself through through that that process. Not all problems, okay? Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And, and the setup stage is not therapy. But just in terms of, uh, yes, taking control or ownership of things about your life that you don't really like and turning them into comedy can be very helpful. 
Now, what Hannah Gadsby did in Nanette is, from her point of view, she challenged all of that, yeah. right? She said, I, for years, I've been making jokes about what I look like and, and who I am mm. to, to try and to do that, to play this, this game of comedy in which you do self-deprecation. And for her, at least, through Nanette, she came to a point where she said, I don't want to do that anymore, and I feel like this isn't, this isn't helping. This isn't yeah. helpful for me, and I think it's actually making things worse. It's letting people off the hook mm. um, um, and laughing at, at me as opposed to me taking ownership of that. And that's Hannah's experience. I've, I found that show really powerful and interesting. I don't know if it's, you know, 100% of lies to me. I think that you are, it is possible to make comedy about stuff that, about yourself that you don't like and that that be a healthy thing. Yeah. But that's, to me, that's the crux of why Nanette was so revolutionary in that, in that kind of moment, sort of pushing back against that. Totally. And mm. sparked a lot of conversation amongst queer people who have absolutely, I do it. It's mm. like my, my 100% my thing is yep. that self-deprecation in situations where I'm clearly uncomfortable to take ownership of it. And mm. I, so I couldn't relate in that respect. It's like, well, actually, I'm not willing to get rid of that. Am mm. I supposed to? Do I have to? Yeah. Can I not? Is it making me a bad person? Do I need to go to therapy to analyze if the fact that I'm doing it is because I'm not evolved or mm. whole? Or is the person who doesn't do that better than me? Mm. And that was a beautiful conversation for all of us to have, especially funny people. <laughs> for sure. I remember, I know you watched Queer as Folk, and Queer as Folk was huge for me, particularly. the I haven't watched the British one, but the Canadian one was massive. And mm. Emmett in that show, you know, it's just constantly cracking jokes, just is the queer queen, the big bottom, the, the fairy, like all these hilarious yeah. jokes and is a, a lovely character and I just remember there was one plot line or one season where he just kind of reaches a point where he's just like you, none of you take me seriously and you think I'm just this character this camp queen caricature and but I'm a, I'm a human being and so yeah he, he wanted to kind of break with that that um caricature of himself or perception of himself mm. as just this this big happy queer who's always happy and nothing actually hurts his feelings he's yeah. sort of trying to break through that so that's interesting. Absolutely. Resonates with straight people too because a lot for a lot of people we are and it's not their fault. It's how we've presented ourselves. Mm. Like gay people equals funny. Mm. Gay people equals scene stealer. Mm. Gay people equals and it just works every single time and we deliver time after time. We come to the party <laughs> and we're still funny. Yes. So I heard a little rumor. <laughs> You've written a book. <laughs> what yes. is it about? Tell me everything. It's called I'm Millennial, One Snowflake's Screed Against Boomers, Billionaires and Everything Else. Shut up. That's great. That's the subtitle. It's too, it's too long. And it is a funny, comprehensive overview as to how our generation has been screwed over by the political economic order of the past 50 years. It's very funny. Wow. i got to get better at selling this thing. I mean, you had me at uh, the title. <laughs> Seriously, though. Why did you go on this journey? Why this book? This is like, I mean, I'm sure people are aware of the millennial boomer war that's been waging. And oh, yes. We can't buy a house because of our smashed avocado. So that, obviously that's been playing out for a long, for quite a while now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And post-2016, when Trump gets elected and the whole world seems to be going crazy, I start asking some big questions about my politics and mm. eventually ends up with me becoming one of those millennial socialists people might have heard about. And I guess that crazy political education... I, I wanted to put down and lay out exactly and, and sort of explain it and explain why people of my age, you know, we're not just imagining it. We're not just self-entitled snowflakes who just are complaining and don't know how good we have it. Like there are actual things that have happened over the past 50 years that mean work sucks. We can't afford a house. We're straddled with student debt. We don't own anything mm. collectively or individually. There are crazy billionaires and people sleeping on the street and the world's on fire. And there are reasons why that's the case. 
So hopefully it's very funny and there's lots of swearing and funny <laughs> pictures, but also hopefully I'm sort of laying out the case as to why, why you should get angry and get active. Education and entertainment. Boom. A little bit of that. I don't know. Is there much gay stuff in there? I, don't th- I, th- I talk about it as a Colombian guy I slept with once. That was great. Um, and I sort of say, oh, yeah, there's been a lot of social progress and undeniably like, and there's plenty of boomers that are responsible for that, so we can't just hate the boomers for that. But on the big economic questions, yeah, our people are screwed. Great. It doesn't even have to be gay. You're gay, and that's enough reason to <laughs> fucking read it. <laughs> I was gay the entire time. Yeah, I read the whole the time book. I wrote it. There the was like a day when you look back at like your career trajectory, and I'm just conscious of we've interviewed some people who were born in the 40s recently, and when they painted the picture of what it meant to be gay wow. in Australia in the 50s and 60s and 70s and 80s, like mm. their idea that you could make a living and be yourself is like crazy. Sure. So to ask the question today of like, has it been beneficial for you is wild through the lens of those two conversations. Yes. You know, so you say to them, is the world getting better? And they're like, beyond fat, like yes. you don't even get it. You yes. won't get it. You can't understand it. It doesn't matter if you're into history. It will mm. make no sense to you. The idea that you could be gay and be a comedian and be gay, mm. like in that exact order of like, <laughs> it's you and you're out and you're out <laughs> while being out mm. blows my mind. And so, I'm not naive that my career, I've been able to leverage that. Mm. I'm different. And people like different right mm. now. Mm. Has it been useful and helpful to be a comedian who talks openly about being gay? Yeah, yes, abso- absolutely. And that that is a testament to the extraordinary progress that, that society has made. And to the people like Mark Trevorrow, who plays Bob Down, to people like Adam Richard, to these um, pioneers who, yeah, who went through a lot of shit. And who were, you know, there's, there's footage of Adam Richard going on a Hey Hate Saturday, right? Have you, are you familiar with Hey Hate Saturday? No, but I will after this. Oh, don't bother. But um, <laughs> it was a huge part of the Australian entertainment history. Okay. Um, it was a show on Saturday night. It was a live variety show. And it, you know, on Hey Hate Saturday in the 80s, mm. you know, um, if you were of an ethnic minority or a sexual or gender minority, uh, that, that those jokes were going to be made about you. Yeah. It's... It's wild. Anyway, there's footage of Adam Richard going on that show and just every second joke just um, hanging shit on him and, make, and reducing him to this caricature and somebody who could be dismissed. And, of course, he's on TV as a comedian, yeah. so he's going to roll with it and, yeah. and own it. And um, Yes, but the idea that any like a, a gay person could host their own TV show or could anything like that was just a wild fantasy. So, uh, yes, and I've been able to do a whole bunch of uh, gigs and have probably been put onto various lineups to tick a box. Um, and I'm fine with that. Absolutely. <laughs> I think you need to be fine with it for this reason, which is in isolation, like just looking at one career path. So let's just say comedy. Our timeline of is quite easy for the average person today to p- point their finger and list a couple people. Mm. But they, even if they don't know anyone, they just say Ellen and they understand like, well, actually her show being canceled, like that was recent. Mm. And like not liking her because of her show, like that's recent. Mm. But there are a lot of other industries and a lot of other categories that are still today in 2022 where maybe gay comedians were in, you know, 81. And so it's useful for them to like look at another career where people are benefiting Mm. from being this thing where you couldn't be the thing. And if you were, you absolutely never would have worked. And to go, well, is it so problematic that Sean... Like, I'm a gay dad. I make a living being a gay dad. That's Mm. my thing. I make money because of it. Mm. I make more money than the straight dads. It's fucking great. 
But in isolation, <laughs> no one thinks that's impressive. They're like, yeah, 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 I get it. They need diversity. Right. Like, well, wait a second. Don't get too excited. This is brand new, bro. Mm. We should still be celebrating this so that the athletes who are still not out of the closet, tennis, for example, there's mm. no gay tennis players that are male. Mm. Women, totally. But men, it doesn't exist. Mm. Well, they need to like hear this and then hear that you're successful and can get on the lineup because of it to go, oh shit, one day, not so far away, mm. it could be possible that being a gay tennis player is this like massive achievement. Mm. Right? We need to like... Well, it's nuts. I mean, there are so many gay comics now that, and, and, and showbiz is not a meritocracy and comedy is not a meritocracy. But I would say that at this point, you can't just be gay. Like you have to, you still have to be funny. You oh, absolutely. You really yeah. work just as hard as everybody else. Mm. And also a big part of me coming to terms with both, yeah, who I was as a, as a person, as a queer person, and also as a comedian was just re doing a bit of reading of history. Graham Chapman from Monty Python was gay. Mm. Graham Kennedy was gay. Yeah. Uh, we've been around and hilarious you know, once you start doing the reading, like, you know, most of the cool people in history were gay. Oh, totally. Or queer, or, or at least different in some way. You know, no one was a conformist. Mm. Um, and yeah, queer people are just embedded in the history of everything everywhere, so. So when you look back at your timeline, um, and your story, I know it's, it seems like a really silly, cliche question to ask, but for this show and the people who listen to the show, it actually is like really, really matters. So in the closet, you... What do you wish in the closet you knew that you now know? <sighs> that you're going to love being gay. Mm. So for me, it was like, I don't want to be gay. I reject that. That's, I don't want that. I want to do anything I can to not be that. Like really, really look at these pictures of women, Tom. Really try. Have you ever tried to be attracted to women? Give it a go. <laughs> yes. And then you get to a point where it's begrudging. It's like, okay, I guess I can deal with this, mm. right? This is, this is something I can work through. I can live with. I can try to minimize. I can, you know, I, I'll, it'll be a, annoying. <laughs> it'll be a hassle. Mm. But it doesn't seem like I can change it. So I guess I'll have to accept this. To then getting to the point where I love being gay. There was nothing. There, it is me. I, I'm not, there's not the Tom Ballard without the gayness. There's yeah. not, they're not, that's yeah. not an added on extra. That's fundamental to, mm. for me anyway. And I, I'm not locking myself or anybody else into certain, you know, specific lanes they need to stick to or whatever. But I'm just like, for me, yeah, being gay is as much as me as as my body is, and and as my love for performing, it's all it's all part of who I am. And the things that it has let me do, the people it has allowed me to meet, the ideas and the politics and the experiences it's exposed me to, it's just like incredible. Mm. So I I would I wouldn't be straight for quids, you know. And I and I just think, yeah, so much the the um, picture, even the positive messages for me as a kid was just like, you know, things will be okay and you won't be, you won't die alone. <laughs> and there are, you know, there are lots of cool things that you can do as a gay person now, uh, as opposed to saying, no, you can, you can flourish, you can thrive and you can have an amazing, fulfilling, rewarding, loving life as a queer person. Absolutely. Love it. That's a perfect place to end. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you. Great to talk to you. Cheers. Okay, we are back. How are you going? How are you feeling? If this episode left you wanting more information about our wonderful LGBTQIA plus alphabet, then you should check out Minus 18. They're Australia's LGBTQIA plus charity. They have heaps of resources on their website and they run trainings for workplaces and classrooms. Minus 18 are on all socials at minus 18 youth and their website is minus18.org.au. But Minus 18 isn't a helpline. 
So if you're looking for support, you can call Q Life on 1 800 184 527 for free every day from 3 p.m. till midnight. If you're feeling anxious and not up to talking on the phone, they also have web chat at qlife.org.au. Lifeline is also available 24 hours a day for crisis support and suicide prevention. Their number is 13 11 14. If you want to be a part of the Come Out Wherever You Are community, you can slide into our DMs on Instagram at Come Out Wherever You Are. You can also follow me at Sean Zeps. That's S-E-A-N-S-Z-E-P-S. Come Out Wherever You Are is presented by me, Sean Zeps. Our lovely producer is... Lindsay Grain. Our executive producer is... Lemma Zacharia. And we can't forget our audio producer... Chris Marsh. See you soon. <laughs>